You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, swashbuckling Swifties, swizzling and swimming sweetly in the swamp with swans and sweaters. This is Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 244, and of course, I am your humble host, Karen, and we are your far-out, far-sighted, faraginous, far-sores foraging on faro and farkleberries. I'm Colin. And I'm Chris. Today is our season finale, everybody, and the big question is, Colin, last episode... (laughs) We did a live demo of a thing that I'm going to mm. remain mysterious about. Uh, my big question is, how did you dispose of that, <laughs> the thing? <laughs> yeah, mm, I would say in a word, poorly. <laughs> um, didn't go well. I, I took the thing inside. It was in a container. And my first thought was like, oh, well, you know, I'll just hold it over the trash can and just sort of shake it hard enough and it'll pop oh, right oh out. No. Oh, no. It did not want to come out. It was in there. So then I'm like, all right, well, let me just get something to kind of just jimmy it out of there. So I got a, I got a chopstick out and just kind of just <laughs> swirling it around, standing over the, the trash can, this thing inverted. And most of it came out. Um, but it is pretty stubborn, I have to say. I was like, all right, I, you know, it's good enough here. I can go just just go wash this out of the sink. And <gasps> again, without giving anything away here, let's just say that it was still partially active. And so washing it out in the sink ended up creating some additional cleanup problems for me oh, <laughs> that oh, I had no. to solve fishing out of the uh, drain with my hands. Um yeah, my okay. wife might just be learning this for the first time when she hears this episode. But yeah, everything's fine. I cleaned it all it's up. Fine it's now. Fine. That's it's when you tell her. Now. Like a couple of weeks later, everything's, everything's clean. okay now. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you touch it with your fingers? I did, and it, it, you know, it felt exactly like it looks like. It felt, yeah, it felt, it mm. felt exactly like you would think it would. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay. That was like the burning question I had. I was like, oh man, he's got to deal with that thing. I, I I wouldn't do it again the same way. I'll say that. <laughs> well, if you're curious and you haven't uh, listened to that episode, just in the previous episode, go check it out and uh, find out what we're talking about. All right. Without further ado, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hotshot. Here, I have a random trivial pursuit card. You guys have your barnyard buzzers. Here we go. Let's answer some questions. Blue Wedge for geography. Oh, this is cool. Which mid-Atlantic state was the first to put its web address on its license plate in 1999? <laughs> oh my gosh. Chris. Delaware. Incorrect. Oh, dang. Why, what's your reason, though? Uh, Delaware corporations and stuff like that. Oh, okay. You know? Good reasoning. Oh, Colin. Uh, New Jersey. It is Pennsylvania. Okay. Pennsylvania. Okay. Why All did right. they, is there any information no. about that? Maybe because oh. it's hard to spell. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Okay. Or maybe, you know what? Maybe it's just one of those things like someone had to be first, right? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pink Wedge for pop culture. Which movie took 12 years to film and included the same actors throughout? Oh. Chris. I believe it's called Boyhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Boyhood. Yeah. Richard Linklater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Director of Days and Confused. All right, Yellow Wedge. 
Florence Nightingale, the founder of modern nursing, was born in Florence, Italy. True or false? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, Colin. I'll, I'll say true because I really want it to be true. It is yeah. true. It is true. I don't know why they just All right. It seemed like a mean thing to make up. It's like, no, no actually, she was super boring. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Purple Wedge, which Californication actor wrote a book about a talking cow named Elsie Bovary? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I Colin. mean, I can name precisely one Californication actor, so I hope it's David Duchovny. <laughs> it is David Duchovny. Oh, I, okay, okay. Okay, great. <laughs> now I remember um, him writing a children's book about a cow. Amazing. Didn't we get a question about... This does sound familiar. <laughs> uh, Gillian Anderson also being an author. So like the two X Files. Oh, I, oh, actors. yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Just a couple episodes both ago. published yeah. authors as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Green Wedge for Science and Nature. Who praised a high tech exhibit at the London Science Museum in her first tweet on October twenty fourth, two thousand fourteen, and signed it Elizabeth R. <laughs> <laughs> that is Colin Queen Elizabeth okay. Re Regina, right? I believe. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the R stands for Regina, which is oh Latin for queen. <laughs> I see. Here we go. Last question, Orange Wedge. Which yummy Naples specialty was first sold in America by Gennaro Lombardi in 1905 on Manhattan's Spring Street? Maple. Yummy Maple specialty. specialty. Naples. And oh, Naples. Oh, Naples. Naples. Oh, oh. <laughs> Chris. Uh, pizza. Pizza. It is pizza. Pizza. <laughs> pizza. What maple? What yeah, maple? Like, oh, maple. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> Good job, everybody. Woo. All right. This week, today, we're going to be talking about famous swaps and substitutions. So many avenues. So uh, this week, it's a switcheroo. All right, I'll start us off in our previous episode about redacted and deleted stuff. I debuted a game where I deleted one letter from titles of famous books. Uh, then you had to guess the new book titles based on their new made-up summary. For example, yes. I said, Dan Brown's fishy puzzle quest thriller. And <laughs> the answer would be, Da Vinci Cod. <laughs> I was just thinking about that the other day and I was chuckling to myself as I was just like making my coffee in the morning, the Da Vinci Cod. Da Vinci Cod. Yeah. Uh, where, yeah. you know, where the E is deleted from Da Vinci Code. So today for this episode about swapping and substitution, I have a new challenge. I have changed one letter. Changed. So I've swapped mm. one letter from titles of not famous books but the best-selling video games of all time. Oh, gosh. So okay. the summaries, I mean, the description summaries I'm going to give you uh, will clue into the original video game and clue into maybe, you know, what word got affected from the letter mm -hmm. swap. Mm -hmm. For example, right. if I said, Sony's adventure game starring Kratos, the mythical golfer, your answer would be... Uh, oh, sure. Chris. God of Par. Oh, God of Par. Good. God of War. Uh, right. You can prime yourself. This is the list of video games that have sold the highest number of units worldwide. Okay. All right? Okay. 
Okay. All right. Let's start with number one. Okay. Number All one, right. popular sandbox building game featuring silent clowns. Uh, Chris. Minecraft. Minecraft. <laughs> Minecraft. Change the M and the N. Minecraft. Minecraft. Number two on the list. The streets aren't safe in this action game where you drive around town to commit copyright infringement. Uh, the streets aren't safe in this action game where you drive around to commit oh. copyright infringement. Okay, okay, okay. Brand Theft Auto. Five. Yes! Oh, Brand Theft Auto. There we Brand go. Got Theft it. Auto 5. Brand yeah, Theft Auto. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Number three is Tetris. I couldn't really come up with one. Uh, I guess <laughs> I had. I wrote down Wetris, but. <laughs> but that's like, an actual game. Yeah. Like wet blocks. Yeah. Right. Um, so we're going to jump to number four here. A Nintendo favorite where you use the controller to act out putting on cut off pants. A Nintendo favorite where you use the controller to act out putting on <laughs> cut off pants. All right. Chris, go for it. We shorts. We shorts. Of course. Uh we sports. We shorts. All right. This is a hard one. <clears throat> Number five. A battle royale game where a hundred squished face little dogs parachute onto an island and try to survive. <laughs> um Okay. Call it. Uh, Pug G. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's yes. <laughs> Pug G Battlegrounds comes from Pub G, player unknown. Uh, Pub Pug G. Yes. Good job. I want to see now uh, an all Pug uh, patch. Yeah, for Pub if, if someone hasn't made that mod yet, please make a Pug G mod. <laughs> number six. Number six. The classic platformer where you try to find the best Italian-made chess-supporting undergarments. Oh. Oh. Colin. S Super Mario Bros. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Change the bros to bras. That's right. great. That's great. Number seven on the list. Push the gas pedal to race against your friends. And by gas, I mean flatulence. Oh. Chris. Mario Fart Wii. Ooh. Oh, is it not It that? is Mario Fart. It's Mario Fart 8. Oh, really? Mario, oh, yes. Mario that's Kart right. Yes, 8. it did. Yeah, Mario it did Kart the Wii yeah. version. Yeah, <laughs> Mario Fart 8. Number eight is Overwatch. I could not come up with a letter swap that, mm -hmm. that was funny. Um, but we're moving to number nine. This is an RPG where you try to collect and battle characters like Loctite, Shorebonder, Mod Podge, and Elmers. This is an old Game Boy game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. An RPG where you try to collect and yeah. battle characters like Loctite, Shorebonder, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mod Podge, and Elmers. Yeah, I got glue, yeah, well, glue, sticky. Uh, it, it's got to be got glue. glue, it's gotta, right? It's got to be glue. Yeah, uh, uh, glue. Oh, Pokemon. Oh. Yeah, I was gonna say Pokemon glue. Okay, <laughs> Pokemon blue, red from that series. Pokemon glue. Pokemon um, glue. 
I chose uh, brand names of glues that sounded most like a Pokemon. Loctite. Loctite, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Number 10 on the list. Cowboys and outlaws adventuring out west, seeking revenge and drinking honey wine. Chris. Red Mead Redemption 2. <laughs> yes! Oh, you got the yeah. sequel, yeah. Nice, yeah. Red Mead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2. Yep. Okay. Uh, I skipped a bunch. Now we're number 14, an arcade classic, an arcade maze staple, where you play a gynecologist trying to successfully chase and give smear tests to the ladies. Oh. Chris. <laughs> Uh, is it just Pap Man? Pap Man. Oh, 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 great. Man. Pap, hey, you know, Pap Man. Cer- cervical health is very important. I'm glad. I, I'm glad we decided to have Pap Man come toward the end of the quiz. Cause, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, yeah. it started with Pap Man. It would just put it. Yeah. <laughs> Where you even go from there. All right. Okay. All right. Last one. <laughs> Thank God. The last one. All right. Number 15 on this list. In this fantasy role-playing game, you play a monster slayer who gets hired to pour water from various vessels for money. I'll even add this uh, Slavic mythology-based fantasy role-playing game. (laughs) Chris, he's mad. The Pitcher 3. The Pitcher pitcher 3. Originally, The Witcher 3. What is a Witcher? Not really a, you know, kind of a new word as well. All right. Well, thank you guys. Now you know the top selling video games. (laughs) That's the silver lining, I guess. (laughs) Well, we get a lot of TV trivia at Pub Quiz, and we like to generate a lot of TV trivia uh, on this very show. I have a TV trivia quiz I have assembled for you. Uh, Let me start with this. Uh, Aside from being two of the most popular shows in American TV history, do you know something that The Office, the American version, and The Simpsons have in common? He asked, winking in the context of today's theme. I will tell you, uh, they are both uh, examples of highly successful shows that were mid-season replacements. Oh, okay. And a mid-season replacement. What does that mean? If, yeah, if you're not familiar with the American TV show terminology, a mid-season replacement is a show that uh, traditionally, for one reason or another, in the American TV uh, cycle, comes on in the second half, mid-season of the traditional network season. Why? So in American TV, your big shows tr- historically start in the fall runs from the fall into the spring. And so they put the networks put a lot of the money and the hype behind their big uh-huh. shows that premiere in the fall. Often for various reasons, you uh, need shows that can sort of step up to the plate and fill in for a show that maybe is canceled or a show that goes on hiatus after the first oh. half of the fall season. Or maybe uh, one of the major actors on the show has to take a break to shoot a movie or is pregnant or something like that. Uh, or maybe it's a show that the network kind of likes but isn't really sure they want to put too much behind it and you know maybe don't have confidence to debut it in the fall. So for whatever reason, uh, there are a lot of mid-season replacements over the years wow. that, of course, you know, they come and they flame out. And maybe maybe the network was right to put them as a mid-season replacement. But there are a great many of our most beloved 
most well-known, most groundbreaking shows in American TV history that started as mid-season replacements. It's just something that's either a little too new or too fresh or too out there maybe, or maybe it's a show that just the network acquired late in the process. A lot of these shows maybe started life at one network and that network kind of passed and then another network is like, oh, we'll take that show and, you know, and see what we can do. interesting. Yeah, so I have assembled here, I have eight examples. These are, all of these shows are extremely well known. Uh, We're going to cover about 40 years of TV history here. We're going to go chronologically. We're going to start in the 70s and we're going to end up in the 2000s. You guys buzz in. I will give you some hints about these shows. And if you think you know it, jump on in and tell me what the show is. All right. Get your barnyard buzzers ready. Premiering in January 1971, this show set in Queens, New York, was the first major American show to record on videotape as opposed to film. Oh. Karen. Just because it's New York in 1970s, I want to guess Taxi? Oh, not a bad guess. Not a bad guess. Not a bad guess. It is uh, another great New York show, of course, Taxi. No. Uh, 70s New York show. 1971. This show was number one for five consecutive seasons. Uh, Can you give us the genre? It was a a, um, socially conscious, family-based sitcom. Mm -hmm. Oh. Uh, Chris. Is it all in the family? It is all in the family oh, with Archie test- Bunker and the Bunker family. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And creator Norman Lear, who created many, many, many hit shows, uh, really wanted to use videotape to kind of capture sort of the, the, the immediacy and the, the uh, almost live feel of early television. He, he was going for kind of a throwback, even, even in the 1970s, he was sort of going for a throwback feel. Yeah. The only other two shows, by the way, I learned uh, that were number one for five consecutive seasons were The Cosby Show and American Idol. So it's, yeah, it's... What a a range. What a range. Premiering in April 1978, this hour-long show boasted the signature cliffhanger episode of the 1980s. Question on everybody's lips. Oh, that was really close. Uh, Chris. Dallas. That is Dallas, of course. Who shot JR? Who shot JR? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I had to Google who did, in fact, shoot JR. Um, Was it a baby or something? It was. It is. In very Dallas fashion, it was his. It was JR's sister in law slash mistress who shot him. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Premiering in March 1985, this comedy drama relaunched the career of its female lead and propelled its male lead to Hollywood A-list stardom. Chris Kohler. Moonlighting. Excellent, yes, it is Moonlighting. That's right, all right. Simple Shepard. And Bruce Willis. And Bruce Willis, that's right, yeah. Premiering in April 1990, this okay. groundbreaking mystery drama takes place, according to a main character, five miles south of the Canadian border and 12 miles west of the state line. Ooh. Chris again. Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Oh. That's right. David Lynch's. 
Twin Peaks, of course. Yeah. I, yeah what a yeah. weird <laughs> prime network show. <laughs> David Lynch was, you know, more than game to just, yeah. I'll, I'll come yeah. throw down two seasons of the weirdest show you've ever <laughs> seen. And, yeah. Do you guys remember the show Savannah? No. No. Yeah, no surprise, because it only ran for less than two seasons in the early years of the WB network. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, it was, It was. in fact, it was their first one-hour drama. Uh, it was one of the many, 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 many Aaron Spelling-produced shows. Okay. Um, you know, it kind of started out of the gate okay, but really faded rapidly. It was replaced mid-season mm. in March 1997 by what show which would go on to become the biggest breakoutiest hit for the WB network at the time Karen Dawson's Creek That's what I was going to say <laughs> Is it not It was a it was a show uh, based on a movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer Correct oh! it was indeed Buffy the Vampire Slayer I needed that hint I needed that hint I was not going to get it without that Premiering in January of 2000, this show featured a Grammy-winning theme song by the band They Might Be Giants. Oh, no. Uh, Karen. This is Malcolm in the Middle? Correct. It yes. is Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. All right. Two more. We're now uh, into the... Well into the 2000s. Yay. Premiering in April 2009, this sitcom started slowly, but grew to become one of the best-loved shows of its day, boasting numerous breakout characters, but perhaps none more beloved than miniature horse Lil Sebastian. Karen. Parks and Recreation. You got it. Parks and yes. Recreation. That's Lil right. Sebastian. Oh, man. Last one. The creator of this show, which debuted in January 2011, said he originally conceived of the show's main characters as cannibals. Perhaps, luckily for all of us, Fox talked him out of that idea. Cannibals. Okay. <laughs> so January on 2011, Fox. on Fox. Fox, the main characters were going to be cannibals. <laughs> and they were, he was talking So maybe they're another monster? Idea. Uh, regular people perhaps uh, running a business where you would be very happy to find out that they are not cannibals. They are not cannibals. Karen. Bob's Burgers. It is Bob's Burgers. Yeah! Yes, that's right. Yeah, oh, Lauren okay. Bouchard has said, yeah, sort of in one of his original conceptions, you know, who knows how close to, to the final product it was. <laughs> no cannibals, at least not in canon anymore. Uh, good job. All right. Good job, guys. Yeah. All, every single one of those shows, every single one of those shows, uh, for one reason or another, the network chose not to put on in their <laughs> top of the order lineup, but went on to great success. Speaking of TV shows, I was on one. Maybe it was a, a mid-season because uh, I remember my episode was in February. So ah. yeah, uh, The Chase, which is the trivia game show I was on, uh, my team won. And so last year, I actually took a big chunk of my game show winnings and started the Good Job Brain Charity Fund. And the idea is to use this, this pot of money to donate and give back to uh, nonprofits and orgs that really embody uh, the Good Job Brain spirit, like supporting groups that like promote a, a real love for learning. So we are coming into the holiday season. And so, of course, it's a great time uh, for us to give back. So this year, we're going to give to a couple of organizations nominated by our listeners. 
Clifford Hedden nominated the Spiel Foundation, Spiel, Spiel, S-P-I-E-L, the Spiel Foundation. And Clifford says, it's a foundation that buys and ships games to children's hospitals, boys and girls clubs, senior centers, and more. They make Mm. age-appropriate game bundles and send them to organizations that can get them into the hands of families that need them. I love that. Clifford, what a great suggestion. So uh, we're going to donate some money to the Spiel Foundation. And... Uh, our special guest this season for our last all quiz bonanza, Neville Fogarty, crossword master Neville Fogarty, as a thank you to to being our special guest on the show. I asked him to pick an organization that we can donate to as well. He went local and Neville said, I picked out Horizons Hampton Roads, an organization focused on shrinking the income inequality achievement gap for primary and secondary students from underserved families in Norfolk, Portsmouth, in the Virginia Beach areas to realize their full potential. Excellent. Last but not least, the third organization that we're going to donate to is a nomination from Robert Frowley, and he nominated BioBus. BioBus. Robert says, BioBus is a New York City-based science education nonprofit whose mission is to help minority, female, and low-income K-12 and college students in New York City discover, explore, and pursue science. And they actually do have a bus. That's that drives awesome. Around and I does love cool that. workshops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I love that. I think of that like is- Spider-Man school, you know, Miles <laughs> Morales' like cool uh, science school. <laughs> Thank you, listeners and Neville, for nominating these great organizations. And uh, in this holiday season, we'll we'll give back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. All right, well, Colin, you had a TV quiz. I have a TV quiz. Oh. So we're just going to roll right into this one. No overlaps? No overlaps. No overlap. So you can continue <laughs> to um, stretch your uh, television uh, knowledge uh, muscles. This is about when one actor or character is substituted oh. for another on mm. a television show. So these <laughs> these broadly fall into two buckets, which is one, a character is recast with a different actor, same character, different actor on a TV show. Uh, Or two, when a character leaves and they replace that character in the mix with with another, with a totally Mm. different character Mm. that's essentially filling the same slot, but it's not supposed to be the same role or the same person. I understand. Sorry, I don't understand. Sometimes on a show, someone's husband, a character leaves and it's somebody's husband. And that person yeah. that immediately, like episode one after that person leaves, they get remarried. 
like to a new person. Oh, I see. And that to person a new character, takes yeah. that slot in the show essentially. <laughs> that that fills hole, that fills duty. That hole. Yeah, exactly. But mm-hmm. not the same the duty. role. Not the same person. Got it. Right. Got yeah. it. Got it. Go. Yeah. Oh man. So that's the quiz. That's the quiz. That so oh, uh, ten questions. Ah, it's you know what? It might be. It might. This this <laughs> might be. This might be more stuff that Colin knows, but we'll see how this goes. We'll see how okay. this goes. Um, okay. So question one. Sarah Chalk famously took over the role of Becky Connor on the sitcom Roseanne when this actress went away to Vassar College. Uh, oh, man. See, I know Sarah Chalk. Yeah. Oh, other man. Uh, what's her name? I was. I kind of did this, and I was like, is yeah. everybody going to know the name? Everybody knows Sarah Chalk because of Scrubs and stuff like that. And also, was, oh, yeah, you know, new Becky. That was Sarah Chalk. Yeah, well, who was old Becky? Uh, uh, All right. This is going to kill me. Looks like a nothing. It's Lisey Gorenson. Oh, was her name? Okay, yeah, Lisey Gorenson. Yeah, all right. Original Becky. All right. Question two: A dispute over pay led the characters of Luke and Bo to be replaced with their cousins Coy and Vance for a single <laughs> season of this show. Colin. The Dukes of Hazard. It is the Dukes of Hazard. Yep. The the characters playing Bo and Luke uh, wanted more money and they were like, nope, we'll replace nope. them with your previously unheard of cousins <laughs> who look who look and act exactly like you. Um, what are their names again? Coy, C-O-Y, and Vance. <laughs> Last name? Hazard. Hazard. Well, they were cousins. Not Hazard. Duke. Right, right. They were cousins. Uh, question three, Bill Murray famously apologized for not being funny after he replaced this actor on Saturday Night Live. Oh, who did Re- he replace? Who did he replace? All right, not as, not as easy as I thought it would be. Colin. Well, so I know that Chevy Chase left rather early. Did he replace Chevy Chase? He did, yes. Oh. Yep. So that was Chevy Chase left after one season, and they put Bill Murray in. And uh, it was an awkward transition, but he eventually he eventually kind of found, <laughs> <laughs> found, his, found his niche, as it were. Yes. All right, question four. I sort of teased uh, this a little bit in the in the explanation. Um, after uh, actor David Garrison exited the role of Steve Rhodes, actor Ted McGinley came in to replace him as the character huh. Jefferson Darcy on this <laughs> sitcom. Colin again. Uh, this yeah, this was uh, married with children. This was married with children. What happened? Yes. He he played the husband of the neighbor, uh, Marcy Rhodes. Was played yeah, by Amanda oh. and um, and then she got remarried. David Garrison actually left the show because he wanted to return to doing a live theater in New York City. And another fun fact: I actually saw David Garrison <gasps> in an off Broadway production. Oh really? Um, yes. Of what? It was, uh, of Silence the Musical. Uh, that was the unofficial musical version of Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> in which he played Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter. It was like I really want to stress it was incredible. It was absolutely <laughs> pitch perfect. It's like as ridiculous as you you would imagine. For people who don't know, Chris is yes. like a big Lamby. <laughs> big silence of the lamb like you i know, really i really do love that fan. movie yeah that's yeah, true yeah. yes the universe yes the, yeah uh, the slu yeah the lambiverse <laughs> yes i didn't even know we were in 
um, the area where it, it was around St. Mark's Place where that theater was. I only found out because I saw the, the the poster outside the theater, and I'm just like, it was. I was with uh, my wife and and or you know, I was dating right my girlfriend at the time, you know, and uh, my brother, and it was just like. Uh, guys, we have to see this. Like, I'm buying you. I am buying you tickets to this matinee. We are going to see this play right now. We are canceling other plans. <laughs> Lammy um, power. Lammy power. Question five: Which of these Game of Thrones characters was oh. never recast? Okay. Oh. A. The Mountain. B. The Hound. C. Beric Dondarrion. D. Tommen Baratheon. That is Colin again. Got to be the hound, the right? Hound. It was him the whole way through, right? It is the hound. It is the oh, hound. Yes. Okay. No, you're right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you scared me for a second there. Well, some of these characters, where you think like, oh, Beric Dondarrion was the same guy all the way through. No, no he made an early appearance in an early episode uh, played by a different actor. Uh, and of course, Tom and Baratheon grew up from uh, you know a small boy to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to young adult. Uh, and <laughs> the mountain, the mountain was played by three different people. Oh really? Uh, and then, but of course, the Hound played start to finish by Rory McCann in a uh, memory. So much, so many recasts. Marcella yep. Baratheon got recasted. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. What's Dario? Dario Naharis, re- yeah, most recognizably, yeah. went from like a Fabio-looking guy with flowing <laughs> long blonde hair to um, guy with like short brown hair and a beard. Yeah. <laughs> Question six. Janet Hubert was replaced by Daphne Maxwell Reed in the role of Vivian in this television program. Karen. The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Aunt Vivian. I didn't say Aunt Vivian because that would be given away too much. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yes. Question seven. Which evil clown in the World Wrestling Federation has been played by multiple performers, sometimes simultaneously? Oh, man. Fundamentally a WWF uh, era character, but like a Karen. Is it like Dink or something? (laughs) You're very close. Really? Very close. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, (laughs) a... It is. I'm going to tell you. It's uh, it's Doink the Clown. <laughs> doink the Clown. Yeah. Very close with Dink. That's more comical. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. They so there's this whole thing where uh, there was this there was this thing they did when they did WrestleMania at Caesar's Palace and it was like outside. There was this thing towards the end of the show where Doink was wrestling and um, the crucial point in the match when Doink was sure to lose a second performer in identical Doink makeup. <laughs> crawled out from under the ring and swapped places the ostensibly being a completely fresh wrestler in the ring who then defeated <laughs> with the opponent it all took place at caesar's palace outside he was under the ring the whole the whole event all the rest of my, like during during yokozuna's matches all of it was under the when ring the they set him up in. they wow. set him up a little tv to watch on closed circuit and they had snacks and water for him and stuff like that but like he just had to be under there the worst part apparently was like after he came out and did a spot at the end then he had to go back under and then wait there again <laughs> until Every audience member had left Has the, left Caesar, the, the arena oh Caesar's God, Palace. That's funny. Like that is that is so far for a But I watched it live, and when that happened, it was so it was such a crazy moment. Um question eight. In which sitcom was 
Chrissy replaced by Cindy and then Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Colin. That is uh, uh, Three's Company. Three's Company. Oh, yeah. Three's okay, Chrissy. Yes. I didn't know yes. the third switch. There was so it was originally it was uh Suzanne Summer's character Chrissy, Chrissy. and then she left and then the, oh this is her cousin Cindy and that yeah. did not last very long it just did not go over well because it was again it was like playing like the same type of character it was like the it yep. was like the Duke's Hazard situation where it was like it's the same characters different person and they replaced it with a different character called Terry who was more who was more of her own character basically question nine. Lisa Robin Kelly and Christina Moore both played the role of Lori Foreman on this period sitcom. Oh, uh, uh, Colin. That is that 70s show. That is that 70s show. Oh, the sister. Yeah. Yeah. The sister. It has been longer between now and that 70s show than it was between when that 70s show aired and the period in the 70s that it uh, depicted. I, I, I don't need to know that. You don't need to tell me that. I don't need to be thinking about that. Yeah. Yep, that's cool. Um, yeah. Good night, everybody. So, yeah, and we're done. The question, I told you about my back starting to hurt, right? Uh, question Question number 10. <laughs> final question. Maybe this, is, maybe this is more in Karen's wheelhouse. I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, when Shannon Doherty left Beverly Hills 90210, her character was replaced with a new character played by this 90s teen idol. Colin? It was... Uh, oh, I, I was a big fan of 90210. I, I'm not above okay. admitting this. Uh, I, I, It was Tiffany Amber Thiessen, right? Oh! Late of Saved by the Bell. Yep, exactly. Yep. Kelly Kapowski. All right, well, good job, Brains. That was fun, I think. As you all know, I am a big, 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 great British Bake Off super fan. If hmm. Chris is a lammy, I am a, a bakehead, <laughs> soggy bottom. For for those who are not familiar, uh, uh, Great British Bake Off or uh, in the States, the Bake Show, because as we learned, Bake Off is trademarked by the Pillsbury Company. You can't call it that here. Um, okay. It's a reality competition about like baking and it's very chill and back in 2018, Bake Off did something pretty cool. They debuted their first ever vegan week mm. where competitors had to bake without using dairy, without using eggs, uh, honey, gelatin, any animal products. And I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So my jaw dropped as I was watching when I learned that for their technical challenge, they had to bake meringues. With no huh. eggs. Huh. Meringue is made up of two things, sugar <laughs> and egg whites. And yeah. their challenge was to bake it with no eggs. And I was like, how is that possible? And in comes something I've never heard of before. Uh, they used an egg white substitute called aquafaba. Huh. Aquafaba. Um, and they quickly explain that aquafaba is liquid from canned garbanzo beans or chickpeas huh. so when you get like a can of or, or actually it technically it can be not just chickpeas bean liquid so basically you know you get like beans in a can you always have yeah, like that, yeah, that yeah. water you drain off keep the water because when you put it in a mixer it foams up and it acts like a like egg white and you can wow. bake it so aquafaba so water <laughs> and then faba bean 
right? Right. F- bean water. F-A-B-A. Yeah, bean <laughs> water, water bean. It's a, a relatively recent discovery. <laughs> so back in the 2000s, people have been experimenting with making egg substitute, right? Uh, some people use flax. Uh, they mix it with water. It has a kind of gelatinous quality and other mucus, not mucus, the word mucilage. Mucilage <laughs> producing mm. ingredients like bran or like, mm. like husks and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. In the other corner of the internet, someone discovered you can actually improve the texture of bread when you use bean water. Just these kind of separate thoughts kind of started growing and, <laughs> and overlapping. So in 2014, not that long ago, 2014, hmm. Joel Russell, he's a French French singer, a tenor, he blogged about experimenting with different ingredients to make foam. He used a liquid from cooked kidney beans. And he's like, oh, you know, if you mix it up, it like foams up. Huh. In 2015, the discovery was made. Goose Volt, after hearing about the previous mentions of chickpea or bean liquid, he had the idea. He's like, oh, let's let's make a meringue. Let's test it out. Um, so he whipped the liquid. And sure enough, just the chickpea liquid started foaming up, put sugar in it, baked it. And holy crap, <laughs> it tasted like baked egg whites or meringues. Right. When I first heard about aquafaba, I was like, oh, something that like the ancient Romans did. Or it sounds like, oh, it's a tech- It does. It does. Right? Right? But it's a recent discovery. It's interesting because this is recent. So we yeah. have these documented instances to look at. Their their forum posts, their blog posts, so we can actually track now where the kind of the point of explosion came from. I know what you mean. It seems so elemental. Like, I mean, humankind has had beans and water like as long, long as time. we've Yeah, it's it doesn't yeah, it hardly gets more elemental. Yeah, so, yeah. But, but but only now is somebody trying to make a vegan meringue. Like for, yeah, yeah, yeah. for most of human history, nobody's been really thinking like, how do we do this? Yeah. That is really interesting. Like I, I, I remember reading, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen this too. There's like, you know, the competing myths about like the first monk who discovered tea, you know, like when some leaves fell into his boiling water yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, or the first person to make pasta, you know, I just lost to the mists of mm. time. Hello everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the history of everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Okay. I want to get right into my next uh, segment here for you guys. This this story is called Fine Cotton except no substitutes. I reckon this story will be a new one for you. It comes from the world of Australian horse racing in the 1980s. So (laughs) really banking on you guys not having any past exposure here. On August 18th, 1984, 
at the Eagle Farm uh, race course in Brisbane, uh, Australia, there was a eh, lower mid-ish tier horse race. This race was mostly made up of up and coming horses, maybe horses sort of on the tail end of their racing life. It was not, these were not all stars, all right? Uh, And on that day, the first horse across the line was a horse billed as Fine Cotton. Fine Cotton in his racing career was very unremarkable. He he had had uh, 70 starts in his racing career, uh, had won two times, so was not lighting the track on fire. I wouldn't be betting the kid's college fund on fine cotton is all I have to say. Right. Now, I will pause here. Thank you for the segue, Chris, to emphasize that the lifeblood of horse racing is not just a love of horses. It is. It is gambling. All right. There, there would be. There would be no no on horse races. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There, it is. It is all architected around this central fact that uh, there is money to be made betting on the horses. Wherever you have gambling, you will always always have people trying to find an edge. All right. And oh. more to the point, you will always 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 have cheaters. All right. Mm-hmm. Now I will pause. Further in my pausing here to to get into just a little bit of the mechanics of how betting and wagering on sports events works. So betting on horse racing, like most sports wagering, involves odds based payout. You know, racetracks and casinos and and bookmakers use use odds to essentially balance out the amount of money coming in on both sides of an event. Odds, or what you might see referred to as the line in a in a sporting event, uh, will very often change from the time the odds are posted or released uh, all the way up to the time of the event, whether it's a horse race or the Super Bowl or baseball game or whatever it is, the odds makers, they do want to try and set an accurate line, accurate prediction. They want to at least start there. But as money comes in, as events change on the ground, maybe maybe a key player on a sports team gets injured, you know, three days before the big game. Or right, you have to normalize it. That's right. And so they'll shift the odds. They'll move the line uh, in a horse race. A horse, uh, if a lot of people start betting on it, the odds are going to change just to balance out the money coming in or against that horse. In fact, Fine Cotton started at 33 to 1. 33 to 1. By the time the race started... Uh, Fine Cotton was the uh, seven to two favorite. Wow! Still, still, you know, decent payout. But the the amount of money and the amount of interest in Fine Cotton had moved the line so far that the bookmakers oh. had to reduce essentially their exposure. So when you place your bet and it's thirty three to one, and then the odds change as it gets closer to the race. You are used. Did you still get in at those odds? You yeah, absolutely you do. In? You are locked, You're locked in, in at those odds for like basketball season. Let's say you can place a bet on a team doing the championship before the season even starts. Oh, I see. And months and months, who knows what's going to happen, right? So yeah, a lot of people have great stories of of making a, a very wise investment on a team that you know people counted out maybe at the beginning of the season or a horse that people counted out uh, when the odds were first posted. So people watching the odds on fine cotton in the lead up to this race were maybe a little suspicious uh, because of such a dramatic shift on what was objectively a middling horse. All right. Something was up. And sure enough, immediately after the race ended, all right, fine. Cotton, it was a photo finish. Exciting. Fine cotton won. fine cotton was at least the horse that was billed as fine cotton came across the line first. Oh gosh. Oh no. Right after the race ended, there were shouts 
ring in, ring in, ring in. Now, a ring in is when unscrupulous individuals will substitute a good horse for a not so good horse, pretend it's the not so good horse. And when the secretly good horse, the ringer wins, you sweep up your winnings. Very quickly, a a plot unraveled that I can only describe as a a little bit of tragedy, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of just farcical Coen Brothers true crimeness unfolded. The story involving uh, Sydney gangsters, big money, charlatans. Uh, a months-long elaborate plan hatched in prison. Wow. So the the fine cotton saga, let's back up here. Many, many months, rewind, uh, began really kind of all goes back to uh, a man named John Gillespie. John Gillespie was uh, a known figure in the horse racing scene, uh, and he was also kind of a known con man uh, in the scene. He was, in fact, sentenced uh, to time in prison for his various um, crimes. And while he was in jail, uh, he met uh, a man named Pat Haitana. John Gillespie and Pat Haitana, uh, in very short order, grouped up with some other jail buddies who were accomplices of a uh, eh, semi-notorious figure in the uh, organized crime scene named Mick Sayers, some of his accomplices. It's the last name I'll throw at you. Maybe one more. And they hatched a plan using John Gillespie's sort of connections and knowledge of the horse racing scene. And Pat Haitana's brother, who was a trainer, they hatched a plan to do an elaborate ring in, which you buy a good horse, you try and sneak it in for a not so good horse and hope that nobody is the wiser as you bet and clean up. Now, this was not the first ring in uh, in horse racing history, not the first ring in in Australian horse racing history. In fact, John Gillespie had been involved in a previous (laughs) attempt at a ring in some years earlier. So this was not a new idea to him. So once they got out of jail, John Gillespie uh, the Haitana brothers, their various accomplices, with funding from uh, Mick Sayers, this gangster figure, they uh, bought a they bought a, a horse named Fine Cotton, the star of our story here, uh, for one thousand dollars. And wow. as I say, very middling horse toward the end of his career, but you know, <laughs> still able to be raced. They also bought a second horse named yeah. Dashing Solitaire. And Dashing Solitaire, <laughs> in addition to having a, a much suaver name, uh, also cost $10,000. So 10 times the price that they paid for Fine Cotton. Dashing Solitaire was a substantially better horse than Fine Cotton. At racing. At Yes, at racing. Yeah, I right. mean, he could have like, been a jerk. Not, yeah, not, a, yeah. not at math. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most importantly... I need to stress this. Most importantly, Dashing Solitaire looked almost identical to Fine Cotton. Okay. All right. I okay. mean, it of seems course. it sure. seems maybe I, a little too obvious, but I should state this here. Yeah, uh, it was great. Coloring, the marking. I mean, just sort of the general size, everything. Like oh. they, they, they felt they had a really good plan here. So here's the plan. All right. So they've got Dashing Solitaire, who they're grooming and sort of training to really win this big race. And then they've got Fine Cotton. And their goal now is twofold. Is one, to tire out poor Fine Cotton. Oh, no. Over the course of a month by running him in as many races as they could enter, keeping him tired. And at the same time, building up a negative reputation because he is now being seen losing all these races. That's so sad. Toward the back of the pack. I mean, it 
it, 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 who's being exploited it is fair to say uh fine cotton was being exploited I, I will jump ahead and say that he did end up living a happy life when this whole story oh, is over yay. <laughs> yes he died he has he died at the at the very ripe old age i believe of 32 for a horse oh, so, wow. yeah yeah wow. yeah so far, the plan's working great, all right? I mean, they've got their two horses. They've got the one they're really confident in. They've got the one who's out there, you know, building up a bad reputation. But one week before the big race here, uh, Dashing Solitaire was uh, cut by some barbed wire, okay? And not super seriously. It was on his leg. And, you know, I mean, they they, they treated him and stitched him up. And he, he would recover just fine. But one week out from the race, there was no way, and they knew this, a horse with a cut that fresh, they wouldn't let race. It was just, it's, mm. it's, they, oh. they really care about the horse's safety. Uh, I mean, at least nominally. At this point, you or I, if we were running this ring in, might say, ah, it's too bad. Well, we'll just wait for this horse to heal or we'll just give it up and try again. So John Gillespie calls Mick Sayers, who was bankrolling this operation, and gives him the the sort of the bad news. And Mick Sayers says in no uncertain terms, there is no way we are canceling this plan. We are racing a horse. You find a way to make it work. And uh, that's, otherwise, that's, yeah, I've, I've, I've always, I've always felt that you can just sort of call up a mob boss and say, <laughs> hey. "Hey, yeah, this just isn't going well. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and back out." Yeah, and, and yeah. the mob boss is usually like, "Yeah, that's fine." Yeah, no they're really, yeah, yeah, very understanding is probably the, yeah. the number one um, personality yeah. trait of mob bosses. Yeah. He had sunk a lot of money into this and he needed to see a return on his investment. I mean, not yeah. just the two horses, but the training and, you know, paying the crew and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So their first idea, <laughs> their first idea was, okay, let's drug the horse. Let's drug fine cotton. And maybe miraculously he can somehow turn into a, a world beating horse here. And I mean, luckily for oh, like, fine cotton. Like performance enhancement. Right, exactly. This I think is how you realize that things are going to go off the rails. Cause it's like, they have the plan. The plan is not bad, but it's like, as soon as something goes wrong, it's like, a wildly elaborate, you know, worse, worse and worse ideas building on top of each other. So <laughs> John Gillespie said, you know what? I think I know another horse we can get. <laughs> and a we're going to get horse. a substitute for our substitute horse. Yeah, we're, we're going to get a <laughs> a second tier ring in Great. horse. All in. So, yep. uh, so he thought back to another horse that he had seen, you know, while sort of on the scene and sort of scoping out horses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Casting, if you will. A horse named Bold Personality. Uh, there were just two problems here for our, our crew. Uh, one, they didn't have $10,000. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And two... Perhaps most importantly, bold <gasps> personality looked nothing like fine yes. cotton. <laughs> yes. Which is kind of the, the point of this whole plan. yeah, this is <laughs> yeah. the the wheels are really falling off at this point. Yeah. So different size horse, different different coat color, different markings on the ears, the tail. I and but they're like, we gotta find a way to make this work, man. Um, we don't want to end up dead. So John Gillespie wrote a bad check uh, that he knew would not clear sent one of the crew down to go pick up this horse, basically, like it sounds like with his Toyota Corolla and just just a flatbed trailer on the back. Uh, go pick up this horse, pay pay the, this this bad check and just get the heck out of there and come back. So they, they, they bring back the horse. 
at this point, you would see this horse and you or I might say, this is ridiculous. I'm just, I'm going to take my chances and just flee, flee, flee town. Uh, but our guys, they did the next best thing. Oh my God. Which is they made the rounds of the city, clearing out all the local drugstores and beauty shops they could get. Hair dye? As much, as much dye as they could get. Henna oh, rinse. They no. they would go get henna rinse two here, three here, two here, like a horse sized amount of henna rinse. All right, oh and their goal was we're going to make this horse change color. Now, now, so yeah. uh, fine cotton was a dark brown, okay, and bold personality was light brown, and so they're like, well, we'll just we'll just darken we'll just darken them up and put some henna on there. So they get all the henna, they cover the horse, they they go to sleep. They're like, all right, you know, it's we're, maybe this will work. I don't know. Um, so they wake up in the morning and apparently horse hair does not always dye the same way human hair has. So instead of a instead of a dark brown horse that maybe resembles fine cotton, they now have a red horse. Like like tom- tomato, tomato red horse. And they're like this is not going to work, you guys. This horse is red. Um, so they're like, all right, all right. I, I know a guy nearby. They take him, take the horse over to their guy's house. They're hosing him down, trying to get as much of the henna back off as they can. They decide the color is close enough. I mean, we're days away from the race now. We're approaching the day before the race. I should also note uh, that fine cotton uh, had what they call white socks, kind of like, you know, white oh, ends, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, ends yeah. of his eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bull personality didn't have those, didn't have white <laughs> markings either. So not only do you have to get the coat one color, their plan is to like peroxide bleach, you know, his, oh you know, his, his legs. It's race day. The plan, hey, the plan is moving forward race day. So they roll into the racetrack. They show up with uh, two horses because they've got bold personality and they've also got fine cotton with them because they're like, hey, you know, you never know. They're like, we might need to we might need to do like a close inspection kind of thing. Like they're not confident that that bold personality oh is going to pass the, the up close test um, that they realize they didn't actually uh, dye his legs. So they're like, well, we'll just get some high gloss white paint. and We'll just paint his legs. Yes. Oh, uh, my God. Paint is running off. It's not sticking it's you know i mean it's not approved for horse use i'm sure so they decided all right we'll just bandage up we'll just you know put you know sometimes you see the horse with the bandages on the legs right like we'll just uh, we'll just cover it up okay okay, okay. right somehow some way they get this doppelganger, this poor doppelganger they get horse. Them through. They get him through. They get him through. And there was there were a couple close calls, Kara. There were a couple so close calls. Oh, like like when they when they first they show up there and you know Hayden Haitana, I mentioned the uh, the uh, the trainer. You know they show up and there's a call over the loudspeaker like Hayden Haitana, please report to the race stewards. <gasps> and you know there it's like being called to the to the principal's office, right? So like he kind of just goes in there and is like, what's up? And they're like, oh. You're being fined uh, two dollars because your jockey was late registration. So they're like, all right, two dollars. Yeah, get back out there. Um, At this point, they notice another wrinkle, which is the name owner of Fine Cotton, as far as the books go, who is not in on the plan. Okay, shows up at the race to come see how his horse is doing, and they're like, just sitcom oh style oh like God. oh what if he sees this horse he's gonna know yeah. the jig is up so gillespie like 
frantically distracts the guy. Hey, let's go into the racetrack yeah. bar. Just knock back a couple <laughs> beers here. We'll we'll watch the race on TV. And then like, you know, tries to like block his view of the TV so he can't see that it's his <laughs> fake horse. Uh, the jockey, for his part, apparently had no idea what was going on, was not in on the scheme at all, was just, you know, just a, just an innocent, uh, fairly new jockey to the scene. Maybe best for him. There is a giant crowd of people here at this race, all right, compared to your average race run of this tier. It is very clear that there are people who have never been to the track before here holding tickets for fine cotton. There are there are policemen here holding tickets for fine cotton. It is clear that word has gotten out through Mick Sayers, maybe through Mick Sayers' connections in the underworld, but somehow uh, it is no longer this, this sort of inside secret. So race is on. The uh, the now third string fine cotton bold personality uh, filling in for dashing solitaire <laughs> filling in for fine cotton uh, does win the race and at least just for a few seconds uh, they were millionaires you know they're like oh we we put so much money down a lot of people made a lot of money in a very complicated twist there was a double cross and <gasps> a a better and mobster higher up in the chain than uh, Mick Sayers had put money on the number two horse and then got a bunch of people to start shouting, ring in, ring in, ring in, making oh, sure, making sure caught. that the race doers would, would, uh, would notice and yeah, get caught. So yeah, fine cotton, you know, the fake fine cotton was disqualified. So the number two horse then became the official winner. That was the master plan. That was the master stroke Oh my plan. God. This, That's this right. is not a movie. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know why this is not a movie. This is I, you know, I am shocked it's not a movie yet. Yeah, there is in fact a book uh, written about it, but no movie yet that I know of um all right so at this point hayden haitana sitting in the parking lot hears over the loudspeakers again hayden haitana please report oh, to the no. race stewards and at this point he's like all right i'm not i'm not getting lucky again and he bolts he leaves he just he just yeah. jets jets out of the parking lot with fine cotton he's in the car with the trailer with the actual fine cotton <laughs> so um so it's this is a huge deal it's a huge scandal there is a a a, I'm not exaggerating. There is a nationwide manhunt and horse hunt on looking for uh, the escaped uh, trainer and the horse. Um, weeks later, fine cotton was found perfectly safe. Uh, it appears that oh. uh, Mr. Haitana had snuck him basically back into a stable, sort of, you know, hoping that he would uh, get taken care of. And he was. Uh, they did find Hayden Haitana uh, with a disguise. Um, he was arrested. Uh, several people, several people went to jail. It turns out there were some prominent bookmakers who were in on the scheme or at least knew about it. Wow. Uh, yeah. John Gillespie went to jail. Hayden Haitana went to jail. Several people were banned from uh, horse racing and racetracks for life. A local, a local Catholic priest got in trouble for uh, a multi million dollar winning bet apparently somehow he got in on the uh the wow. secret was out yeah luckily thankfully fine cotton himself went on to a happy life with a happy owner was able to retire gracefully um <laughs> probably had no idea what no what, idea. Drama, what drama yeah he was involved in that's incredible the, the double switcheroo the failed wow. a hennaed painted <laughs> undersized horse <laughs> being roped in are most horse racing horses 
male horses? There are different. There's like there's like fillies that race. There are male horses that race. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, not 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 exclusively male or female. Yeah. Because I thought at some point in the story you'd be like, well, this replacement horse is a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Just just three problems. Wild, wild, wild. All right, I have one last segment, and of course we love a bonus surprise clip. So I want you guys to listen to this <laughs> mysterious clip. Play the clip. I turned my brother into a pork chop, kidnapped my neighbor's child, stole my mother's car, and now I'm driving to Mexico to see if my nanny's Aztec grandmother might be able to turn my brother back into the monster he once was. Now, Home Alone 3's Alex D. Lynn stars with the horse whisperer Scarlett Johansson, Training Day's Eva Mendez, and Judge Reinhold of Beethoven's Fourth in a madcap adventure the whole family will love. Yes! <laughs> My brother, the pig. <laughs> I do not oh. remember that one. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Scarlett Johansson was so young. Yes, that is uh, just a, a shortened uh, trailer from the film My Brother, a Pig. The funniest thing about this this trailer is family fun movie starring all these people and then Training Days Ava Mendes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Beethoven 4. Horse Whisperer and then Training, Training Days. Day. <laughs> Uh, yes, so I have a quick quiz here about movies where people turn into animals. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. So I have a quick fire challenge. I'm going to name a film. Most of them are animated for good reason. Um, mm. And you have to buzz in and tell me what animal someone from that movie got famously turned into. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to set the guardrails here. Any movie where the animal is in the title is out. So like Shaggy <laughs> yeah. Dog, Brother mm-hmm. Bear. All right. Okay. Cool. This is our <laughs> last quiz of the season. What a great way to end it. Here we go. <laughs> Pinocchio. Chris. Oh, crud. Uh Donkey. Donkey. Oh yes, yes of course. Of Nightmare course. fuel. Yes. Yeah. Very yep, scary. Yep. All right. Emperor's new groove. Colin. Uh, frog. No, Chris mm. for the steel. Llama. Llama. Ah. Voiced by David Spade. Okay. Pixar's Brave. Chris. Bear. Yeah. Bear. Yes. Merida's mother. Uh, turns mm-hmm. into a bear. Next one also Pixar. Turning red. Colin. The uh, it was, a, it was a red panda. Yes. May and her family turn into red pandas. All right. A favorite of mine. Spirited away. Spirited away. Colin. Uh, pigs, I believe. Yes, pigs. Uh, the human adults turn into pigs that uh, keep eating. Food. Next one. Rule doll. Rule dolls. The witches. Ooh. Chris. Mouse. Yes. The 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 children eat the chocolate and they they turn into mice. Yeah. All right. Pixar's soul. There's a brief body switching. Oh jeez. It was his pet. Uh huh. Very common pet animal. Yeah. Chris. 
Cat. Cat, yes, yeah. Cat. Yeah. Jamie Foxx is in the cat's body for a part of that movie. And last one, this is a hard one, but this is one of our more recent entries. Spies in Disguise, starring <laughs> Will Smith. <sighs> you probably saw that poster yeah. holiday season a couple years yeah. ago. Did not see the movie, but I I, I remember the, the ads. I, mm. It is... Pigeon. Oh, I was gonna say bird. I oh, self-censored. Oh, right, right. He's like a super yeah, okay. spy gets turned into a pigeon. Yep, so. right. <laughs> okay. Good job, everybody. Great. <laughs> that's great. All right. Well, that's the end of our season. Uh, thank you guys for joining me, and also thank you guys, listeners. It's a weird. It's a weird season. Uh, we lost Dana earlier in the season. It was the three of us, and you know, we tried out a bunch of different things. We even played with that mysterious substance in that last episode in case if you haven't listened to it uh uh keep being active in the good job brain low trotters facebook group also thanks to uh neville fogarty for being our special guest this season and that's our show hope you learned stuff about mid-season replacements about tv replacements about aquafaba and about mario fart 8 you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on all podcast apps. And on our website, goodjobbrain.com. This podcast is part of Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other shows like Who Did What Now? All Creatures and Food with Mark Bittman. And we'll see you next season. Bye! Bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.